You know, when the, uh, when the church gathers to sing and we unite our voice, declaring things like, this is amazing grace, that there is no one to praise other than Jesus, no other name. It's powerful. You know the story of uh, Tower of Babel, right? A group of people got together with one united language. And uh, there's a little comment made about them when God divides them up because they are going about the wrong thing with their unification. They're, I think, going about an attempt to save themselves with the tower. It's one of those early forms of, uh, of uh, legalistic, I'll do it myself, thinking. And uh, the comment that God makes about them that is recorded by Moses is they are all united with one language and if they're left in that state, nothing will will be uh, outside of what they could do. Imagine what it would be like if the believers ever actually stood together, united with one voice, and spoke truth as God intended, wouldn't it be just as true that nothing would be beyond their reach? Why not let it begin with us? That's what singing is. That's what it is. It's the united voice of the church saying, we believe in this. We stand together and we sing and we say, this is what grace looks like. This is how cool Jesus is. And we shout it out and we sing it out together. If you're missing out on that on a Sabbath morning, lift your voice and press it forward. We don't actually care if you're on tune. The people right around you might care, but the rest of us don't care. The bottom line is, though, we are called to unite our voices in the support of what God has for the earth. There is a conflict between good and evil, and the voice of good needs to stand up and speak because the voice of evil has all those airwaves to work with. Thank you for leading us this morning. Powerful this morning. And Braden... Thank you, sir. It's a blessing to see and to hear you pray this morning. In continuing uh, a series that has rhyme or reason only in my own head, the things that I want to talk about, what I would like to talk about today is keeping the main thing the main thing. I got a, a text from, uh, from Mike yesterday, Mike Peterson yesterday. He said, hey, I was listening to Dave Ramsey, and he said, hey, you should keep the main thing the main thing. And I said, yeah, that's the title of the sermon this week. Because I had talked a little bit about this at uh, Adventist Health this week. Well, this morning, I wonder how hard we are about 
how hard we are pursuing that concept. Lord God, help me to understand what the main thing is and help me to keep the main thing the main thing. Aren't we all kind of looking for that? Aren't we all sort of like the rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus and he says, what do I have to do to be saved? What are the main things? What are the big pieces? What do I have to do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? I just want to know what the big pieces are. I don't, I'm not really concerned about all the ancillary stuff. I'm not really concerned about all the little stuff. I want to know what the main thing is. I think very often churches get wandering off into the toolies about things that are not main. We've spent millions of dollars and thousands of hours of effort arguing about whether women or men are equal in ordination. I don't think that's the main thing. I think equality is a big deal, but I don't even think that's the main thing. Think about all the things we spend our effort in. We have whole groups of people who teach and believe that if you are not a vegan, God isn't taking you home. If that is true, Jesus isn't there. And the resurrection couldn't happen. You realize he ate the Passover lamb right before the crucifixion, which means during the resurrection, unless some miraculous wiping of his stomach took place. There was lamb in his stomach. I don't think that's the main thing. Now, it's not that I don't think that equality is important. It's not that I don't think that the scriptural perspective on what you eat is important. I think these things are important, but they're important for the here and the now. They're not the main thing in eternity. They're not the big deal in eternity. You're watching TV, you're listening to the radio, and the preacher gets up and starts talking to you about something that's not the main thing. Change the channel. Serious. Because we can get so caught up in things that are not significant. Particularly, you need to be careful with this when you first start, when you're the immature baby, new Christian, and you're just kind of beginning, you're just kind of getting a start, you're, you're kind of still in the middle of that, that uh, graph we showed last week, you're still kind of right in the middle there, you haven't grown much in any direction. That's the time when it's easiest for you to get blown about by any wind of doctrine. We don't even need a wind, just a little puff. We get blown over by it. When your faith is brand new and your ankles are fairly shallow, it's easy to get blown off course. It's easy to get lost in it. Be really careful then. But even when your anchors have been long sunk deep, be careful about what you take in because what you take in is what you start to take as a part of yourself. Be careful about things that are not the main thing. Last week I spent some time showing you a graph, which I wanted to show you right now, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it again. That information about God that is correct is what leads to trusting God. Information that is about God that is correct leads to trusting God. And as your trust grows, you are on that track towards perfect love, casting out fear. Because the information about God says that God loves and cares about you. And he's spending all his effort and all his energy. And in fact, he emptied the bank accounts of heaven in order to rescue you. That's a pretty main thing. It's a pretty big deal. So today I just want to cover a couple of things. Just three. 
No sermon is ever complete unless it has a third point. If you're not already doing it, I think one of the main practices of Christianity is to pray. One of the main practices of Christianity is to open a dialogue with God. I am really excited about the interest building in praying for one another and praying as a church. I'm excited about it because that's where the power comes from. When we pray, God acts. When we don't pray, we act. Which would you rather have? If you are challenged by someone to engage in more prayer, to engage in a prayer, to start from the beginning prayer, try it, do it, open a dialogue with God. Number two, read his book. Do you know Ben Carson has written another book? It seems to be the thing you do. When you run for president, you write a book because you want to introduce people to your ideas. So he's written another book. Why? Because Ben Carson wants people to know what he's about as presidential candidate Ben Carson. Barack Obama's on like his third or fourth book. You want to know what he's like? Read his book. You want to know what somebody's like? Read their book. Read their autobiography. Read the stories about their concerns and what their interests are. Read their books. God wrote a book. Now, he used a whole bunch of ghostwriters. But he wrote a book. You want to know about this author? Read his book. It's sort of autobiographical, in fact. Read his book. Open a dialogue with him. Read his book. Talk to people who know about him. Hang around with and talk to people who know about him. You know what? One of the things that we always talk about with, with characters in history is who knew them? Who, do we, who else can we look at? Who else can we talk to? Who around the situation could give us more information? Um, I was talking to my nephew this week and he was saying that a recent book uh, about the, uh, the writing of the Declaration of Independence and the initial writing of the Constitution has been released. This book isn't a, a bunch of information from the people who did the writing. Instead, it's articles from, from, magazine, or from uh, newspapers. It's commentaries from people's diary. This thing became big news and people all over were thought, thinking about it and writing about it. And this author took the time to go and gather the information, not from the sources that were being written by Thomas Jefferson and, and Benjamin Franklin, but instead to go out and find the sources of the people on the street. Who, what were the people on the street saying about it? And he began to look at those people who were interacting with it in the day. And begin to understand it. You want to know something about this? You want to establish yourself deeply in the faith? You want to get the information about God right? Start a dialogue with God. Read his book. And start hanging out with people. Start talking to people. Start engaging people who know him. Prayer. Bible study. Fellowship. I come back to these a lot. These are main things. These are primary needs. I was talking to the kids at uh, Pine Hills this week. And I told them I, I've, I've sailed a bit. Some of you know I've done a little bit of sailing. Um, if, you're, if you're anchoring your boat, if you're, if you're out skiing, 
on the lake, which be careful right now, there might be some things that are popping up that weren't there last year. But if you're out skiing on the lake and you anchor your boat, the likelihood is that you can anchor your boat pretty tight and not worry too much about it. Because there's not a lot of tides in local lakes. But if you anchor your boat in the bay and you put a full tight anchor down, when the tide comes in, if you're at low tide, when the tide comes in, it's either going to pull up your anchor or damage your boat. Because that water's going to lift that boat. Something is going to happen. You have to put a little slack in that anchor line. You see, I think these main things of God, they're principles. And those principles are anchored with a little slack. And that slack allows for adaptations that are changing in your life and in culture. Something that means something to you when you first believe means something different to you when you're semi-mature means something completely different when you are mature. As you're growing in Christ, you need some movement. You're anchoring in principles, not applications. Do you hear that word? You're anchoring in principles, not applications. So what I'm talking about here are just ways to gather in that information, ways to gather up that bit of information. Uh, This first one, comment from Kevin Ladd, a professor of psychology at Indiana University, former pastor actually, wrote a book called The Psychology of Prayer, A Scientific Approach. A Scientific Approach to Prayer. In an article in New York Times a couple of years ago called Should Atheists Pray? He says... Spin a globe, jab your finger at random. If you're pointing to land, you're pointing to a place where people are praying. Prayer is ubiquitous. Everybody prays. Everybody prays to someone or something. They may not all be praying to the same God. In fact, some of them are praying to stumps and trees. It's true. But everybody's praying. You know, Gallup did a poll of atheists and atheists. 80% of atheists admit to praying. Should atheists pray? Well, the question's kind of mute because they already do. The psychologist says, well, yeah, it gives you a sense of of calm and it it gives you an opportunity to to reconnect with the the global picture of of life. And and there's actually one of the comments in this book. He says, uh, when you bow your head, it opens up your, your sinuses and your throat and allows you to breathe more freely and allows for cooling of your brain. Okay. Bow your head. It's good for you. Great. But pray. And don't just pray to a stump or a rock. Pray to the living God of the universe. Pray to the one who can do something about your prayer. Pray to the one who actually is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything gives thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Solid, core, basic principle, what is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. What is the will of God for you? You want to know, what does God want out of you? What does God want for you? What does He want you to do? Well, here's three. How about rejoice always? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Is that in the good days? Is it in the bad days? Can you rejoice in things that are tough because you know God is still on His throne? 
Lord, I am so glad. I rejoice today, not because things are going badly for me, but because I know you are still God. And you can still be trusted. See, this is what Revelation is about. I keep coming back and keep coming back because everybody's talking about Revelation. This is what Revelation is about. Read the first seven or eight chapters, particularly the first seven. Everybody wants to skip to the gory part at the end. Don't do that. Start with the beginning. Jesus walks among the churches. He seals his people before any of the mess is allowed to take place. What is it saying? God is on your side. He gets it. He knows this is going to be ugly. And he's got you. He's got you under control. He has you in his hands. He's not letting this happen without protecting you first. Then all the messiness is revealed. When you are facing the end of time, the most important fact to know when you're facing the end is, is God still on his throne? And the answer to the question is, yep. You can rejoice when whatever comes if you are aware constantly that God is on his throne, that today is not a mistake, an accident, or a misunderstanding. He knew about today when the days all started. He knew about your life today when the days all started. He knew about the stupid thing you would do today when he accepted you into the family and he still accepted you into the family. So when you're being a poor representative of the family, he's not surprised. Would he like it to be different? Absolutely. But he's not surprised. So when you fall on your face in repentance... When you fall on your face and you say, Oh, my Lord, what have I done? Understand that you have reason to rejoice because His mercies were renewed for you this morning. His grace is available no matter where you stand. And you can start afresh, changing your direction and following after him again. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Be in dialogue with God constantly. And in everything, give thanks. Read his book. And you should read his book backwards. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times and various ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. When I was in college, I remember my professor in Isaiah saying, you can't go to Isaiah and drag Jesus back there. You'll corrupt your understanding of Isaiah. In all deference to his Ph.D., he's wrong. If I don't drag Jesus back as my lens for Isaiah, I'm going to corrupt my understanding of Isaiah. I need to see Isaiah through a lens of the Messiah, the ultimate revelation of God. If I'm going to look for the heart of God in the Old Testament, I need to have the lens of Jesus to find it through. I need to be understanding it from the revelation of pure revelation of God that is Jesus Christ. I need to have his sacrifice, his life, his attitudes, his thinking, his preaching as the context for what I'm looking at. I know my professor was just saying, look, understand the content and the context where it is. Great. But if I don't apply the lens of Jesus to that content and to that context, I am going to get lost 
in the mire of misunderstanding because Isaiah is a time-sensitive, culturally sensitive, specific to that group in that time, revelation of who God is. And Jesus is an eternal revelation of who God is. I need to apply the eternal revelation to the temporal revelation in order to understand the revelation at all. Our Bible study group is studying. How many of you are in a, a small group or a Bible study group of some, si- some type? If you're not, you ought to get in one. You really ought to get into one. It's such a great place to just open and discover and read and be with people who are of like mind. We're going to get to that point in just a minute. We're looking at Jeremiah, and we've read through only about five chapters of Jeremiah. We just started recently. We're about five chapters into Jeremiah, and if you don't have Jesus, Jeremiah gets confusing. If you don't have an understanding of the heart of God through who Jesus is, Jeremiah can be tough because Jeremiah is telling Israel, look, I am here to warn you that if you don't get back to God, things are going to get really ugly. And this is how, very specifically, that's going to happen. Get back to a relationship with God. And that's what he keeps saying over and over again. But if you don't have the lens of Jesus to see all of that, it's difficult to see the heart of God. If you don't understand mercy and grace have been there from the beginning, from the first sin, it's difficult to see the heart of God. I better hurry up because i got a lot to say yet today. Talk to people who know about him. That which we have seen and heard, we declare that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, the Apostle is writing at the end of his life. First John is down when he's probably the pastor of Ephesus. And he's writing, look, I'm telling you the stuff that I've seen and heard. I'm telling you about my own experience, what I've seen and heard and felt and touched in my relationship with God. And as I have seen and heard and felt those things, I'm trying to reveal them to you so that we might have fellowship, so that we might be understanding, so that we might join in our joint understanding of who Jesus is. And as we understand Jesus, be bonded together in Him and be strengthened in our walk with Him. That's what fellowship is. Prayer, Bible study, fellowship. These are the tools for digging up the information That builds faith and trust in God. Prayer, Bible study, fellowship. Prayer, Bible study, fellowship. Prayer, Bible study. Those are first resources. Those are direct resources. You and God. Fellowship is your balance. Fellowship is the place where somebody comes along and says, I think you've read that a little screwy. All of us have a screw loose at some point. Most of us have a screw loose at all points. And somebody needs to come along in our life and say, hey, uh, you're wandering, man. I don't know what you, where you got that from, but it, that's not what I understand Scripture to say. We need to have some people to help balance us. That's what fellowship is about. It's about reconnecting and rebalancing what we think we know. So I want to take you to a story. We haven't, we haven't done a story, an Old Testament story in a while. But I wanted to go to an Old Testament story to see what looking at the scriptures backwards with the lens of Jesus might just look like a little bit and see if these things come out. The story of Jehoshaphat is a story of a king of Israel who was on the throne for 25 years. So the, the, the four chapters that mention Jehoshaphat, they don't cover the whole life, right? The four chapters in Second Chronicles that mention Jehoshaphat don't cover the entire life. 
Let me give you a quick rundown. Jehoshaphat becomes king. He's committed to God. He wants to follow after God. In fact, he starts trying to change Israel and teach Israel about God. And we'll mention that in just a minute. But as he starts laying down and teaching Israel, Israel begins to follow after God. And the people who are around Israel stop messing with, with Israel. The Philistines start sending him gifts. The Arabs start sending him gifts. It's great. It's going well for Jehoshaphat. He has peace. And then he gets a call from his brethren in Israel, the northern ten tribes. And Ahab says, hey, could you come up and visit for a little while? So he takes a little vacation. He goes up and he hangs out with Ahab. Strike one. Be careful who you hang out with. They influence what you do. Especially if you are a youngster. Okay, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. You guys. Be careful who you hang out with. They influence what you are. Be careful who you hang out with. They influence who you become. Be careful. What am I saying? Be careful who you hang out with. Grown-ups too, but especially if you're young. Your rankers aren't very deep. It's easy to get thrown off by who you hang out with. This king of Israel who's committed to God goes up to the northern tribes and he decides to hang out with Ahab. Ahab says, hey, you know what? Now that you're here, now that you're here, I, I, I have a little problem with one of my neighbors. I wonder if you would bring your army, join me in fighting the neighbor. Jehoshaphat, being a good guy, wanting to be connected with his brethren, they are relatives. He would love to see the nation drawn back together. He says to Ahab, you are what I am, we are each other, so I will help you. And so he commits to going and fighting and then... He says, do you have anybody we can talk to? Is it, have, you, have you talked to the prophets yet about whether we should do this? Sure, sure. So he brings in a bunch of prophets. And they all say, yeah, 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 go, 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 go attack. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. King Jehoshaphat recognizes these are not men of God. And he says, isn't there a prophet left in Israel who speaks for God? <laughs> you got to love the next line. Ahab says, yes. This is the way I think he says it too. Yes, there's one. Milkiah, but I hate that guy. He has not said a good thing about me ever. Jehoshaphat says, a king shouldn't say that kind of thing. He goes, all right, go get the guy, bring him back. So they go and they get him. Milkiah shows up. He has been warned by those who went to get him. Hey, everybody has agreed that we should go off and fight these guys. You need to, you need to encourage the king here. Don't be the bringer of bad news like usual. Shows up, gets to the king. King says, all right, should I go fight or should I not? Milkiah goes, sure, go fight. They will be delivered into your hands. Which technically is true. But he hasn't told him the whole story. And even Ahab recognizes it. He says, listen, how many times have I told you not to, not to lie to me in the name of God? Tell me the full truth. So apparently this has been going on. This dance has been danced before. Something about the way he approaches the king. The king knows he's not telling him the whole story. He goes, all right, here's the story. Yeah, go ahead and fight him, but you're going to die. He turns to King Jehoshaphat and he said, See, I told you, he never has anything good to say about me. And he says, Lock this guy up, put him on bread and water until I return safely. 
To which the prophet says, if you return safely, I'm not a prophet of God. And God has never spoken through me. So that's bread and water for a long time, folks. Tough job being a prophet. They go out, they fight the battle. I love the way this battle starts. I'm telling you, Jehoshaphat has a streak of trusting that's a little out of place where this king is concerned. King says to him, Well, I'll tell you what, Jehoshaphat, I'm going to disguise myself as a regular soldier and go into the battle. You stay in your royal robes. Wouldn't you think there's something fishy about that if it were you? Apparently, he knows that these people are really after his head. So when the battle starts, they go looking for the king. They surround him, and Jehoshaphat cries out to God. They realize it's not who they're looking for, and they go off looking for the other king. A soldier happens to fire a bow just randomly at somebody there who looks like a soldier. Bow goes in through the armor, and King Ahab flees the battle, sits in his his uh, chariot watches the battle till he dies. I want you to have that story because it's the background for this one. The prophet comes to him as he returns home and he says, Jehoshaphat, why would you become friends with somebody who hates God? Why would you assist someone who hates God? Here's your unequally yoked picture, by the way. This is what it means to be unequally yoked. You are befriending, you are assisting, you are connecting yourself with business, contracts, marriage, whatever the case may be. You're committing yourself to someone who doesn't like God, who hates God. That's what unequally yoked is about. We always just apply it to marriage. Oh, these two people, they have to be of the same denomination. No, it's talking about people who hate God versus people who don't. Then, this happens. The people of Moab, the people of Ammon. Do you recognize these names? Do you know who these people are? These are the cousins of Israel. These are Israel's cousins. The people of Moab, the people of Ammon, and the others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. The Bible says those from across the sea. This is not from the, across the, the, the Mediterranean. This is from the other side of the Dead Sea. Okay? People from the other side of the Dead Sea. They're coming and they're about to attack you. They're, they're camped at En Gedi. They're all grouped up and they're about to attack. Okay? Have you ever noticed how when things get hard, the main things become obvious? Have you noticed that? When things get hard in our lives, the things we're supposed to be doing, the main things, the important things, become obvious. They become very clear. There is clarity... When we face difficulty, there is clarity when we face difficulty. God actually uses the difficulties in our lives to inspire the people who follow after him to get clarity. There is clarity when we face difficulty. You see very, that's why they always say there are are, are no atheists in foxholes. Why? Foxholes are a dangerous place. Everybody prays. I don't know if you're real, but I'm praying, help! When things get difficult, we get real clear about the important things in our life. The problem with most of us first world people is we're cruising. 
We're cruising along and we don't really need a lot of help. We don't need to be crying out to God. We always say, well, why aren't there more miracles in the first world? Because we don't need them. We have wallets. We have Visa and MasterCard. We don't need God. We can lean on our own resources. We are not desperate for God's resources. And so we find ourselves coming up short and only finding answers that we can provide. Wow. Our own intellect, our own strength, our own wallet, those are the things we fall back on. Until things get so tough that we can't provide the resources anymore. You know, I have been forced into a bit of a prayer life that I wasn't expecting. Happens to me a lot, actually. Some crazy thing will happen, something will go wrong, something will go off the rails, and I'll be suddenly praying about things that I hadn't even thought about. Mark Borat probably put this in the, in the most clear terms when we talked about uh, your vote to build a $7.5 million building. That was an 80-20 vote, by the way. This is not a light, we just barely 51-49%. This is 80-20 vote. When we voted to do that, Mark Borat said to me, okay, time to go to school. He's repeated that in several different contexts. Okay, time to go to school. You know what he means? Okay, now it's time to learn what God's got in mind. Because we all know that is on a shelf too high for us to reach on our own. We're going to need a boost. I don't know what the boost will be. But I know God's in charge of boosts. So, we are going along. And we are recognizing the gap. The, the, call it, the, the, uh, the finance people call it the delta. I love that term because it doesn't sound so scary. The delta between what we actually have and what we need. Right? This is the delta. The delta is shrinking slowly. But it's still pretty big. And so you know what my prayer life is about? Lord, we would really like for you to show up with something that makes this thing happen before I die or before I'm too old to see it happen or whatever. I don't know what your plan is, Lord, but it would be nice if, it, if you'd kind of reveal it to us soon or if you just show up and do it. If, if somebody would call the church and make a $5 million donation today, Lord, it'd be all over. I don't know what it is. But I know not, I'm not in charge of miracles. I also know who is. The Moabites, the Ammonites, and the, Am- uh, the Moabites and the Ammonites get ready to come and attack Israel, and things get real clear for Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat has been told by the prophet, "Look, you went off and teamed up with the wrong guy. God's kind of upset with you. You're a good guy. You're trying to do the right thing, but that was a bad move." And now these guys show up. He gets real clear about what needs to be done. Jehoshaphat feared. Should you be afraid at this point? Is this wise and healthy fear. Yeah, the information says, be afraid. Bad things are happening. You've got negative information. Bad guys are waiting on your borders. You should be a little nervous. He feared. 
And he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. These are the people who've been worshiping Baal and Asherah and Moloch and all that. Jehoshaphat and his father, actually, have begun to rebirth their interest in God, rebirth their, their relationship with God. They've started to read his book. They started to gather in fellowship. And they began to pray to the God who can really do something. And in that growth of that relationship, when crisis hits, they're able to fall back on it. Here's what he did back in chapter 17. In the third year of his reign, he sent out leaders, Ben-Hal, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathanael, and I'm not sure how to say that, Micah name, to teach the cities of Judah. So he goes out and he tells them to go and teach in the cities of Judah. So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them. And they went throughout all the cities of Judah and they taught the people. In the third year of his reign, he started to reestablish people's relationship with God. Now when crisis happens, he calls for a fast, and they all show up in in Jerusalem to pray. Good? Positive activity. Also in the third year of his reign, whoops, sorry, and now here are the people, Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade. I like this prayer. He says, here, God, are the people who we couldn't destroy when we came into the land, and look what they're doing. Here are the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Verse 11, And here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Is it a bad thing for you to go to God with what's bugging you? Have you ever done this? Go to God and say, okay, wait a second. Here's the story as I understood the story. This is what you told us to do. We did it. And now look. Okay? If you don't do this, if you're not willing to confront God with the things that are bugging you, you know what happens with those things? Little acorns grow into giant oak trees. And you start having all kinds of trouble in an area of your life because you wouldn't go be honest with God with what was bugging you. Hey, God, here's the deal. You told me if I ate right and lived right, I would be healthy and I would be okay. And now I've got this horrible disease that's tearing me up. And look, my friend smokes cigarettes, eats everything under the sun, and they're fine. Lord, Jimmy Durante lived into his 90s, smoked cigars every day, and drank bourbon every day. How did I? What? Uh... If you don't go and talk to him about it, it's going to destroy your relationship because now you're not going to trust him. You've got to go and confront him. You've got to go and talk to him. That's what the king did. The king said, hey, look, you told us not to destroy these people, and look what they're doing now. This is exactly the human case. When you're dealing with something you don't understand, go to God, deal with that doubt right in His face. He can handle it. He's not scared of you. He can manage this. So He says, you will not... Or so, so the Holy Spirit moves on the crowd and some people begin to speak and they say, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Position yourselves, stand still, see what God is going to do. Stand in front of the group so you don't miss the story. Stand still, 
see what God is going to do. When you and I are facing difficult situation, the answer is with God. Going to Him, seeking His guidance, seeking His understanding, seeking His wisdom, He's the one who tells us then what to do. Go ahead, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. So they rose early in the morning. I skipped a little part. You know, after they said to do that, after these guys said to do that, they broke out into song of celebration as if it had already happened. When your faith gets to a certain point, you can start claiming the reality that is not yet. When your faith reaches a certain level of maturity, you can start claiming the reality that is not yet. It's a lot less stressful. So they rose up early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. By the way, these people are camped out down by the Dead Sea in Engedi. And they went out. Jehoshaphat stood up and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets, and you shall prosper. He appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness. And they went out before the army and were singing. This is that, one of those great signs in Scripture. You get the army and you get the choir. And you send the choir out first. Not because they're expendable, but because the choir is the one leading the voice of the people united against the authority of the devil. Remember, the people of Babylon were united in one voice and God said there will be nothing that could stop them if we let them continue like this. Here's the choir going in front of the army saying, praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. Imagine this this choir leading the army and as they're marching toward battle, what you hear on the battlefield is, Praise the Lord, His mercy endures forever. 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 And as they're moving forward, this, by the way, this song that they're singing is, is very much a repetition, just like that. Praise the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. And then a, a short line. Praise the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. And the choir and the army are moving forward into battle, singing praises to God because His mercies endure forever. They arrive at the battle site and the battle's over. You see, while they were preparing and marching, God went into the armies of Seir and Moab and Ammon and He turned the enemies of God on each other. And the enemies of God destroyed each other and the people of Israel just arrived at the end of the battle. I don't know what's clarifying your thinking right now. Or if you're just cruising along, you don't really want to be clear. But I'm telling you, if if you're looking for what the important parts for you to do are, there really are only three. There really are only three things for you and I to be doing daily. We need to engage God in a conversation. It's called prayer. We need to read His book. Well, he gave it to us. And we need to be in connection and in fellowship with somebody else who will march forward with us into whatever battle we're facing, singing, 
praise the Lord, for his mercies endure forever.